A long time ago, it was commonly known that the Earth was both flat and that the Sun revolved around it rather than the other way around. People believed that women who were too emotional needed to have primitive devices masturbate them to relieve their hysteria. Most diseases, it was believed, could be cured by bleeding out the illness or by placing leeches on the body to suck out the sickness. It was commonly held that if one reduced the taxes on the wealthiest, the savings would trickle down to the rest of us. Today, we can look back on all of this and giggle at our collective gullibility in believing absolute unvarnished horseshit. At one point in my life, I believed I would never be divorced. I was wrong. After I was divorced, I thought I'd never fall in love again and remarry. Once I remarried and was handed yet another divorce, I was absolutely certain I would never love another woman with that passion and dedication again. Wrong. I believed that being fat was my sure way to surviving the coming ice age. I believed that killer bees were coming and would swarm the Midwest. I believed that crime never pays, that exercise was a waste of time, that sex was a transactional act rather than a mutual intimacy. I thought that fame would bring me happiness, that money would bring me joy, that happiness was a goal to be pursued rather than the result of choices. I, like most of us, was perpetually full of shit. I was wrong about almost everything, and I can look back upon these beliefs I held and know how fucking wrong I was. It would be easy to believe that I'm now as evolved as I can be. 54 years old, I'm right about most things, and in five years, I will look back at today and chuckle at how fucking thick I was to think I was ever going to be right about culture, love, happiness, Society, health, you name it. From Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. So at last, the jellyfish began its story. The universe, it said, was born a long, long time ago, perhaps 10 or 15 billion years ago. Our own solar system, this star, this planet, and all the others, seemed to have come into being some 2 or 3 billion years ago. For a long time, nothing whatever lived here. But then, after a billion years or so, life appeared. Excuse me, the anthropologist said. You say that life appeared. Where did that happen, according to your myth? I mean, uh, according to your scientific account. The creature seemed baffled by the question and turned uh, turned a pale lavender. Do you mean in what precise spot? No, no. I mean, did this happen on the land or in the sea? Land, the other asked. What is Land. Oh, you know, he said, waving toward the shore, the expanse of dirt and rocks that begins over there. The creature turned to deeper shade of lavender and said, I can't imagine what you're gibbering about. The dirt and rocks over there are simply the lip of the vast bowl that holds the sea. Oh, yes, the anthropologist said. I, I see what you mean. Quite. Go on. Very well. The other said, for many millions of centuries, the life in the world was merely microorganisms floating helplessly in a chemical broth. But little by little, more complex forms appeared. Single-celled creatures, slimes, algae, polyps, and so on. But finally, the creature said, turning quite pink with pride as he came to the climax of his story, but finally, jellyfish appeared. I've been that fucking jellyfish for most of my life. 
just blindly arrogant enough to believe that the state I am in right now is the best and most knowledgeable I ever will be. Like Plato's cave dweller, I've seen the shadows on the wall and thought I knew what was going on with a certainty only the truly ignorant can possess. I often say that meeting Dana has been a game changer, and in this regard it has been. The new reality of falling in love again, hitching my wagon to hers, well, it's put it all into a bizarre Hitchcock dolly zoom, forcing my perspective in brand new ways. I mean, if I was mistaken about never finding my soulmate, what else might I be wrong by? Almost everything, it turns out. I'm okay with that, though. On some level, knowing that my assumptions are almost always completely flawed most of the time makes it easier to look at them and critically dissect the wrong from the less wrong. Walking away from the assumptions life has handed me gives me the courage to do the unexpected and take those big risks when I'm supposed to be risking things. Christ, I'm probably wrong about this too. to Peculiar Journeys, episode 91. We're here uh, in Las Vegas doing our thing. This week has been interesting. Last couple weeks we had Dana and I celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary. And for those of you that don't know the story, we, we got married in Las Vegas in 2014, finally moved here. We ended up having all kinds of stuff. She was in Pennsylvania for a couple of weeks, and so we uh, we did some of that kind of stuff. And uh, so that's kind of where we're at. It was fun. She got me a tattoo that is a commemorative tattoo for Chicago, which I am certain I will tell a Chicago story on this podcast for. And uh, all the bars, finally, uh, our governor, Sisolak, in Las Vegas decided, or in Nevada, decided that uh, the bars can now be open. So we're going to still be social distancing. We'll still be wearing a mask. But our bars are finally open, which I'm quite happy about, mainly because I've been sort of trying to float my bartenders. A lot of the places in our wildfire division, a lot of the places and stations, casinos, they basically laid off their bartenders because the bars were closed. We, what was the point of having bartenders? I kept my bartenders employed. I, we ended up retraining a few of them so that they could also do some cocktail service so that they could get tips and that they could continue to work. And that was a good thing. So they've weathered the storm and now we'll at least have the bars back open. We'll see how business, if business picks up or not. So that's interesting. This week, uh, 2020, Jesus Christ, 2020, or Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, has passed on. And of course, Mitch McConnell is saying, I'm going to put a fucking Republican goddamn nominee in the seat of the Supreme Court, even though he fucking wouldn't put in Obama's pick. It's just a bunch of shit. It's just, you know... I got to be honest with you, there's only one person I think is the most evil person in the government right now, and that is Mitch McConnell. I think he is the fucking worst of everyone. I just have to say it. Like I said before, I could be wrong, but that's what I believe. Anyway, that's what's going on here in the Vegas world, and uh, I hope you're having a great week. Um, I'm having a fine week. I, like I said, I got a tattoo. That's a story in and of itself. Uh, Dana did all her research for a really nice tattoo shop. We ended up getting a less experienced tattooist. We did not know he was less experienced until we were halfway through it and then realized, okay, 
this might be a problem, but we're already halfway through, so we're going to go with it. And because he took five hours to do a tattoo that's only about as big as my palm on my back shoulder, it cost Dana quite a pretty penny. So that'll be a story that I will absolutely uh, write out and, uh, and, and relate to you on this podcast. Hope you're having a great time, and here is another piece. By now, a couple of months into the Nevada mask mandate, the ongoing dialogue between those of us required to require it and those on the requirement end is routine. So mundane is this argument that there is a musicality to them. If you pay attention, you can even dance to it. The standard three-minute pop version, like a classic 90s Britney Spears earworm, is catchy and predictable. Excuse me, you need to be wearing your mask. Huffs, pulls up mask, waits until security officer leaves, pulls mask down again. Pardon me, the mask? Huffs, pulls up mask, waits until security officer leaves, pulls mask down again. Hey, how about that mask? Chorus, I don't have to wear this mask. You can't make me. This is unconstitutional. I have a medical condition. Like the blues or... Soft FM or hair metal, the subject of the songs are always pretty close to the same every time. It's the players that make the individual tune distinct. It's the tone of the exchange that is the music of the moment. I think we all need to become better conversational musicians. In the 1940s, some black jazz players decided that this essentially American, essentially black music had been thoroughly co-opted by white musicians. In response, they created a new, more complex jazz language. It was called bebop, and the unknowing white jazz gentrifier doing a walk-on to play would ask, what song? The response would be something like rhythm changes, using the chord structure of, in that case, I got rhythm. The music would begin, and the white cat had no clue. Unless the white player took the time to listen and understand the new musical form, he was shut out. On the casino floor, there really is a distinct difference in exchanges between white security officers and black guests, between black security officers and Hispanic guests, and in every disparate combination available. It's an entire improvised set underscored by the bings and bongs and odd celebratory soundtrack of slot play. The most successful tunes occur between those musicians who comprehend the chord structure. Security MOD, we have an issue at Bank 200. He's a white guy new to the security field. She is a younger black woman. The exchange is discordant. She feels harassed as he has come by the slot bank several times to remind her to wear her mask. The familiar tune played out, but it was not a danceable joint. To her, his instrument sounds staccato and angular. To him, her voice is loud, seemingly without pause, a barrage of notes. To my ears, he's simply trying to do his job, and she's merely reasserting her autonomy. Obviously, I understand the music of middle-aged white guys. Having spent more than a few dinners with black families and dated a few black ladies, while not a maestro in the style, I've learned to hear and love the cadences and tones of black women speaking. The voices of black women, for the most part, and in my experience, is boisterous and full-throated, filled with delicious peaks and valleys, and sweeping in and around the other voices. When a black woman speaks... She speaks to be heard. To his ears, she's angry and borderline abusive. 
To hers, he is nagging and condescending. The music isn't connecting. He's really trying, but because he's as unfamiliar with the nuances of her cultural instrument as he would be the Max Roach Quintet, he loses patience. He calls me to intervene. The dilemma is a lack of curiosity with a sense of cultural animosity as an obstacle. The best musicians see all music as worthy of study and appreciation. The musicians of note explore the music of everyone to find influences and include them in their own repertoire. In the early 90s, I'd go to dives that featured jazz open mics. I'd bring my horn and wait my turn. Every house band had sort of a different style. In the time during the sets with other players before I got called up to play, I'd do my best to decode the nuances of the musical conversation to see where I might fit in with my voice. If I was patient, I could fit right in. If I was too focused on my jam and not the collaboration, it was abysmal. I understand the desire of the far ends of society looking to segregate from the rest. The musical conversations are easier when playing with those already in tune with our tone. Uh, I do not have, though, any interest in a George Wallace separate but equal world. I do not believe in segregation. I want to live in a society where Charlie Parker can play with a chamber orchestra and Aerosmith can create with Run DMC. The only way that happens is if we are each curious enough to listen to the music made by those who sing a different song, find the rests in between the notes, and contribute to the composition rather than live with the discord. And that is the podcast this week. I hope you're having, you're being safe. You're, you're, you're kind of getting that. I hate, I hate to use the phrase self-care. I think that whole concept is a little bit overrated, but just for Christ's sake, take a nap, eat some food, you know, watch something or read something that just kind of gives you an opportunity to escape all the fucking nonsense because apparently 2020 is not going to let us relent. It is going to be a fucking relentless hellscape Every day of the fucking week. It's just what we're going to have to endure. We got wildfires. We got everything else. And, you know, at this rate, you know, I don't want to say it out loud, but please, Christ, vote for Joe Biden. That's all I can say. Jesus Christ, please, for the love of God, vote for Joe Biden. I don't give a fuck what you believe and whether or not you think voting is worth it. Just please, I'm begging you vote for Joe Biden. All right. With that in mind, with that plea out there for you, thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly podcast featuring stories and thoughts from an arrogant, overly confident white guy. Lots of episodes were recorded while I was living in Chicago, and now I'm in Las Vegas. Check out donhall.vegas for updates, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts.